The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. There is a reason, Kev. I, I've uh, I've found out why you are never seen in the same room as Darth Vader. <laughs> Last week, when uh, I'm, what, <laughs> you'd be thinking, what's he going on about? Last week, when I was doing the edit, bring on the music. I noticed that you have a particular breathing style sometimes. <laughs> and I thought, hang on a minute, that's Darth Mullins. <laughs> Luke, I am your father. <laughs> Is that really what I sound uh, like? <laughs> Maybe it's COVID. <laughs> it's the compression you see coming down Skype that occasionally when you take a deep in- intake of breath... <laughs> <laughs> no. oh, that, was, that so, wasn't a clever thing to do no don't be doing that so um yeah so i I'd, uh, <laughs> i wondered this week if you could possibly just, just for the edit it's just a little bit easier for me whether whether maybe you could you could hold back on the deep intakes of breath the fuji cast i'll, I'll hold my breath all the way through well, the well no i still want you to breathe kev i want you to breathe but just not in this fashion <laughs> uh, do you frighten the kids at all at night when you turn up? They're saying, it's Darth Mullins. Not my kids, the ones no. next door. <laughs> oh, Kev, another week gone. What did you do this week? Where did you go? Anywhere nice? Uh, no. Oh. Nowhere. Yeah. Uh, stables. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. The, the, oh, um, my new studio. Yeah, Ooh. the new studio and the, and, the, and the new horse has arrived. Oh, I still think he doesn't look quite right. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, there was a picture. You took a picture. He didn't really like you too much, though, did he? It's a she. She's oh, she. Star. Oh, right. Um, or actually, you shouldn't call it a she because it's it's not a she in horse world. It's a um, mare. Is it? Yeah. All right. Okay. A mare. A mare. Uh, she's lovely, actually. She's bloody huge. Is she? <laughs> Well, I mean, Rosa's only a slip of a thing. You're not. I mean, how tall is this horse? Well, it's fifteen one hands, whatever that means. That's huge. Uh, yeah, it's big. But you know, they grow into it. And Rosa, uh, Gemma will be riding it as well. So yeah. you know, needs to be big. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well, I, don't, <laughs> I didn't mean it to sound like that. Sorry, Gemma. I was. <laughs> I know. I'm uh, moving on. You and your questions from our electronic mailbag, and of course, also through the Fujicast private Facebook group that you are welcome to become a part of. We'll talk about the email address in just a moment's time. If you're not a Fuji film, film shooter, don't worry. Everybody's welcome. And uh, there's Kev's book of the week. What's your book of the week this week, Kev? Uh, my book of the week this week is called Photography in America. Mm, okay. Mm. Um, and, uh, and and we've got to do the bump to the fronts. Uh, yes. Oh, and our guest this week, Kev, is Ibarionex. Yes. Right. Um, so he's coming. You, you've been you've been you've been interviewed a couple of times on Ibarian Axe's show, haven't you? Yeah, he's the candid frame. He's I the know. god. He's the he's, he's the um, the podfather. The as I like pod, to call him the podfather of the of the um, photographic world. Well, he's been doing yeah. it fifteen years. Yeah, it's a good little interview, actually. I mean, it's it's he's he's also a very good photographer. Obviously, we talked about the podcast as well because I think that you know the world we live in. There's uh, you know everybody's doing podcasts or trying to do podcasts and stuff. So. Yeah. I thought it would be quite interesting. Yeah, such a nice guy. Is he more a podcaster than a photographer these days? Well, I have to listen to the interview. Well, see what he says. I, I have. I've, I've edited it, Kev. This is just called conversation. You have to take out all my breaths. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, um, emails. Yeah, the, You might have noticed that the contact form is gone. Um, we were sick to death of getting... Um, <laughs> 
Well, it wasn't just, I mean, the spam, the spam a lot was going over the top, wasn't it? It was a oh. huge amount of spam. Why, why was that, Kev? What's happened in WordPress land? Well, you always, every year, you, you may not notice it yourself, but every year spam goes up after Christmas, um, presumably because all the spammers have gone home to see their mums and dads. But it, it usually goes up after Christmas. And there was, there had been an update to WordPress that um, opened up a, a hole, I think, in the in the security of, of, of some of the plugins, the right. contact form plugins, right. um, which they, you know, they pretty much fixed straight away with, a, with a, another release. But yes, we did get loads and loads and loads. Yeah. And so no. I just deleted the form. That'll teach them. <laughs> now nobody can get to us. That no. le- that learned you. <laughs> yeah, you can still write in though. Um, there is still an email address there, isn't there? Where, where do you find the email address now, Kev? You can still go to the contact form. It still has all our details, but mm. the the email address is clickupfutuecast.co.uk. Yeah. And in fairness, most people do use that email address, or they use the Facebook group. Right. So um, yeah, just the contact form for now is gone. Um, maybe one day I'll get around to to moving it all to Squarespace, but uh, that's that's um. A little way down the line why, at the moment. Why, why is it that Squarespace doesn't have so much of the, the same problem, he says, not wanting to tempt <laughs> tempt fate? I, I honestly, it's not really a WordPress thing. It's a, it's the integration of WordPress and the plugins and various other things, you know. So it's, uh, you know, in fairness to WordPress, it's a it's an open source platform, lots of people working on it, yeah. you know, for free, effectively, yeah. for the community. So, uh, you know, you can't expect it to, to not have any kind of, issues whatsoever and yeah. this was just a minor one they fixed it pretty pretty quick but in the meantime we got a billion and one spam we, emails we did yeah <laughs> which which my 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 um my mood has been pretty fluctuating this week has quite it? quite up and down mm. um and so i i did just i kind of threw my fists at the keyboard in anger and deleted the deleted the contact form careful kev <laughs> you'll be having those um the, the blood pressure tablets like me the doctor by the way this week was not very happy with me um <laughs> and said she's gonna she's gonna up the uh she's gonna up the ante on the uh the dosage uh, if i don't do something about uh getting a bit fitter oh uh, yeah she's very forthright my doc which is good i i appreciate that but uh at the same time i did have to remind her that i haven't really worked properly for about a year now and that's reasonably stressful in itself and have you tried homeschooling however i will in her defense she's been dealing with covid <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that's quite stressful. <laughs> Not in our little doctors. Not in our town. We don't have any of that nonsense going on here. That's true, Kev. Very, very true. Yeah, we did chuckle. Um, so um, another thing we, we, we need to remember to do from now on, uh, we had a meeting and we underlined it. Bump to the fronts to make sure that you're uh, when you write in because you're a patron that, that you will be bumped to the front. Um, So uh, apologies that we haven't been bumping, um, if you pardon the phrase, as much as we should have been. So we will bump more often. Yeah, we've got a few names to read out as well. Um, So uh, so it's patreon.com forward slash Fujicast. If you wish to uh, buy us a coffee, you're more than welcome. If you choose not to, absolutely no problems whatsoever. There's a huge name in this list um so i'm going to do my best we've got sean garelli thank yeah. you sean we've got carl Mikkel. thank you carl we've got matt johnson thank you matt we've got jason just put his name is jason, is just jason. thank you jason all right that's all right we've got mark hilton yeah uh, i'm pretty sure it's not the same mark hilton that's uh on malmesbury high street <laughs> and then we have stand by 
Girish. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure that bit's right. Balasubramaniam. Sorry, Kev, do that again. Balasubramaniam. One more time, just for luck. <laughs> Girish Balasubramaniam. Yeah, I'll give you yeah. that one, Kev, yeah. I reckon that's right. That's a great name, though. I love yeah. it. Um, so, yes, thank you to uh, Sean, Carl, Matt, Girish, Jason, and uh, Mark. Thank you very much. For supporting us on uh, Patreon. Now, we also did discuss... Um, Patreon a little bit more, not mm. to kind of bang on about it. And as you know, dear listeners, uh, hopefully at some point when the world's when the doors of the world are opened again and we can all tentatively peer our heads out and say hello to the neighbours and yeah. kiss people on the cheeks and stuff like that. Kevin, I'm not worrying about cheeks. When we're allowed <laughs> to kiss, I'm just going full on. I'm going to release my inner Frenchman. Mm. Well, I'm going to stay. I'm not doing. I'm not coming around your eyes to do a podcast. Then uh, I'm, I'm even going to. I'm even going to greet your horse with it. <laughs> Come here. Uh, you want you want a much a much much choice about that. <laughs> so we will. We do have some long tail plans for having um, some kind of get together, which uh, may or may not happen in the medium to long term future. This, it all depends this, on on the world spinning. Is this the big one that we've been talking about, or is this a slightly smaller one? That uh, mm, well, doesn't really matter. But the whole point <laughs> is that uh, we have been uh, on Patreon. You know, we we've kind of just you know just said thank you very much and yeah, you can yeah. buy us a coffee and and for your reward basically you don't get anything <laughs> um but that's <laughs> one of the things we did put on there is that you will get discounts to any um large-ish events obviously we'll still do our free meetups and get togethers and street shoots and sitting at the end of the pier in brighton and things like that but if we do something a little bit more dramatic um i'm trying to hopefully people are reading between the lines then there will be a discount involved for those people because Excellent. we have to reward it. It's in the it's in the Patreon T's and C's. You have to give something back, yeah. um, and it? so in to that end as well, the, you will. Those of you who are on Patreon will from Monday be getting a uh, a little email each Monday saying podcast ready and uh, a few kind of links and bits and pieces that will will go with that. Right, and also you get bumped to the front with your questions. So should we yes. go for one? Yes. John, hey fella, just John. Hey fellas, yada yada. What value do you think there is in photography education or qualifications? Now we've talked about this before, I know, but um, John may have missed it last time. I've kept photography as a hobby for over ten years, but recently started doing paid interior property work. Aside from expanding my own knowledge, what other benefits do you see in, for example, a diploma in photography? Cheers, thank you, John. Mm. I did actually do. My uh, is it MVQ? Yeah, MVQ in in photography, which has meant absolutely nothing when it came to uh, to any form of importance. Well, in terms of somebody saying, "Yeah, have you got any qualifications? Have you got an ology?" Uh, because the answer would always have been, "Yeah, I've got the MVQ." Oh, right, okay. Um, but I, I guess what it what it did do though is um, because I remember one of the, one of the modules in it, which which I particularly enjoyed, was the history of photography. Now that kind of stuff, when you're applying yourself, that's a great deal of fun and a great deal of education in what you're about to what you're about to do for for a job. I thought that that or, or you don't have to be doing it for a job. I thought that was a great reason to be doing um, some sort of diploma. But if it's if it's for sort of wowing your your future clients, I don't reckon kev it's that important really yeah i would say yeah i kind of agree with you i think things like diplomas and you know kind of further education courses have their merit in terms of 
um, you know, interest and it might be something that you, you enjoy doing. But I don't really think that it's it's kind of going to necessarily get you more work. No. Um, now, that said, you can, you know, you can do um, diplomas from, you know, kind of like uh, New York School of Art and things like that, which would be very different. Diploma from Basingstoke College in photography probably has less impact um and of course you know there was lots of photojournalism courses in fact the one in south wales still runs the university of um wales which is in yeah. part of part of it is in newport now still runs and it's still very popular and that kind of thing that's very well established yes will will probably look very good but that's that's a five-year university course four-year university course yeah so i mean you know what i've got nothing however i would I would love to do art history. I'd like to love to do a degree in art ooh, history. That's ooh. what I'd like to do. Well, yeah. I'm, and I think some of these diplomas, and certainly what I was talking about with the history of uh, photography, although it wasn't that in depth, it couldn't be in a in a in a year. I think it was a year's um, a year's course. It does open your eyes and your mind to other things that you otherwise probably wouldn't think about if you weren't taking some sort of um, evening course, and that that can be a good thing, can't it? Yeah, I mean, I I I ran an evening course at Sirencester College last or the year before last. I should have been doing it this year as well, and it was on documentary photography. And the people that attended were there was a, a person who worked in a bank, there was a barman, there was a couple of retired people, another one of them was a, uh, a lecturer at the university, and the, you know they had no ambitions to go on to be professional photographers. They just enjoyed doing something in the evenings and you know hopefully they got something out of it but it was it was more about uh you know something to do something to enjoy something to look forward to on a tuesday evening spending two hours with me and my fine face and uh you know and and you know in fairness one of them came back on the second week as well (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah i mean who are we to 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 say whether it's right or wrong yeah I think that is it's up to you. I oh, like I said, I would love to if I had the time and the yeah. money, I would love to do a degree in the um in art history. Not because I think it will get me a better job, but because I would just really enjoy it. I certainly don't think there's anything wrong in doing it and uh, you are absolutely right. Um it's um it's a, a lot of fun. Are you, are you going to carry on doing your one then when uh, when this covid is all over? Yeah, I think so. I think that yeah. that that we will we will get back together, me and Siren Sister. Yeah. Um, I had hoped to kind of expand it a little bit, oh. um, but the, the, you know, obviously, what were you going to do? Uh, well, I was I was hoping that we could do it more of a kind of part time thing rather than just a uh, evening course. Ah, I see. Oh, right. Um, wow. So that would have been them coming in what two or three times a week? Well, no, probably more like one afternoon a week rather oh. than two hours every two weeks or something but yeah it's uh, anyway it's it's all up in the air yeah of course well hopefully not too long kev keep Maybe. the faith fingers crossed touching wood your question right okay from the facebook group we are going to go i'm going to start off with uh, ted strang uh oh hang on this doesn't look like a question either it says what's the weather been like lately by you guys over there <laughs> <laughs> that's not a photographic question well, here in Wisconsin, here no Ted, of course, was was uh, was the kind enough to write us the handwritten letter last he week. He was, yes. Yeah. Here in Wisconsin, it was minus thirty Fahrenheit Ooh. last week, and will be fifty degrees this Saturday, uh, plus fifty degrees. So sure? what's that in in lower uh, numbers? Minus thirty. I can bake a cake in Fahrenheit, but I wouldn't have no idea about like sunbathing in it. Minus thirty Fahrenheit is minus thirty four C. That doesn't minus thirty four. Right. Yeah. I thought, wow! I so, what's fifty plus fifty? Must be around about fifty-five degrees. No, it's ten. It's ten Celsius, fifty Fahrenheit. Oh, okay, it's very odd. Well, anyway, it, it works it was, in sort of pounds, <laughs> shilling, pence, and 
dogs per miles per hour sort of it was it was very cold yeah and it was very hot all in 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 a week um that was it that's what he said (laughs) (laughs) okay well it's good it's it's nice to know do you want to go for a question then from from facebook by the way you've got Uh, very welsh all of a sudden is that because you gave the english a bit of a pasting We did give them a bit of a pasting. Yeah, with, yes. your, with your lucky try given, which even the referee says was wrong. Oh, now. no, hold on. The whole thing would have changed had it not been for that. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, in which case you can go back to the two forward tri- forward passes that England had for their tries against Italy. You can go back to last year when Gareth Anscombe had a perfectly valid try disallowed. <laughs> you could also go to the fact that, you know, if Owen Farrell wasn't such a mouthy little but <laughs> he might get a little bit more credence from the oh, referees was just holding his corner there i, I think that well, that's all fair stop it all oh, right okay scott's told us to stop it right he, he held it wrong he didn't you know <laughs> schoolboy rugby the first thing you learn in rugby is never turn your back when the whistle goes never and he in fairness to Orin farrell he was chatting to the referee that's fair enough he was trotting back the rest of them were all sat under the posts no but that's because he told them to go and have a conflab Nobody has a conflab. Nobody has a conflab about things like that. They were having a conflab. They knew what the penalties were for. No. Yeah. <laughs> they were, no. were told. No. He told them to go and have a chat about... Um, How many games their, of rugby have you played? ...their behaviour. No, Kev, you can't do that. <laughs> That's like saying, if you've never sat in Parliament, how dare you have a political view? Um, it, it was. It just wasn't the code, Kev. It seemed to be more like the opportunist uh, thing that a footballer might do. Rugby players are above that. Although I do agree with you, England need to shape up on their conduct and silly penalties. But but the ref, who said he was wrong, he he did tell him, Kev, to have a little chat with themselves, didn't he? Come on. Yeah, and they were. They were <laughs> chatting away underneath the posts, <laughs> like they shouldn't have been doing, because nobody ever does. Okay, go on. There you go. Pick a question. Right. This question is from JPR Williams. And he says... <laughs> okay, no, this question is you never from... Know. He might be a photographer. You never know. Well, I played rugby with him, JPR Williams. Yeah. Uh, one game. Uh, even though he was about 65 at the time, he was I, still I, as hard I, as nails. I only thing I, uh, I used to smoke, JPR Williams. Didn't they used <laughs> to sponsor a, a Formula One team? Come on, let's move on. Where's the best? Go on, go on. Andy Estonia, Andy Estonia <laughs> says, Sorry being quiet, moved house and done very little else. Um, anyway, preamble over. Here's my question. What phrase in other photographers' bios do you just dislike? <sighs> Mine is full-time picture maker. It's the double hyphens he doesn't like. <laughs> good question. Come it's on, not, you can smash this question. Come on, you're good at it. You're awesome at these answers. Okay, if you know what I feel about the word, the word awesome. Oh, if anybody talks about cupcakes... Loving cupcakes and uh, I don't know talks about their horses or anything like that. That's the sort of thing that switches me off immediately. I think it's um, a point was made to me recently on Photography Daily. We we, we did a business thing and it was all about um, the fact that you're there. You're there as a service to somebody. <laughs> Nobody really needs to know that you love eating cupcakes uh, and blah blah blah. They're, yes. It's, it's nice to tell them a bit about you, but it's more it's more about what you can give them than them being yeah. being wowed by frilly nonsense. So it's yeah. it's frilly nonsense that I can't bear. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I get that. Um, I suppose it does depend a little bit on your market. If you are, you know, if you're aiming at the the kind of um, what they call it TP weddings and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. then maybe. But yeah. but yes, I, I I totally agree with you on that. Um, for me, I. I don't know what what raises my hackles. It's it, it doesn't really. There is so like nine in ten websites I go to and I look at the bios. 
it nearly always starts with, I've been shooting since my father handed me a camera at the age of eight, or my mother handed me a camera at the age of eight. And I wonder, I just wonder if really nine in ten photographers that actually happened to. That's always the thing that I kind of think. Hmm. Father gave you a camera at the age of eight. Uh, maybe true, maybe not. But yeah, that's yeah. that's the kind of thing. I, that, we're supposed to be creative individuals, so try and be more creative than I, you know, than somebody handed me a box brownie. Having said that, some of the <laughs> some some of the photographers I I talked to an interview, and um, when I look at their biog, and they might be right up the tree as well with uh, regard their their status. Still start with my father handed me a box brownie. So yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it might be true. Yeah, Maybe. well, yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. My dad handed me a pasty. <laughs> what well, did did it have a good aperture on it? What was it? <laughs> uh, it had a big G at the front and an Insta's at the end. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Paul Tim Paul Timlet says hi, chaps. Apologies, I submitted a question via the contact form on the website earlier, but I do have a follow up. Um, well, we might not have seen that one because uh, Kev switched the juice off on that one because we was were it, getting so much was spam. <laughs> Was it Paul that was trying to, to get us to claim that $2 million that was in New York? Somebody's left us in New York. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a bit strange. What, you just left on the pavement? Apart from not having a mic, I don't have a headset either, so would I be better off just buying a headset with a mic instead for podcasting? Oh, it's a podcasting question. I'm not sure I can plug a separate mic and headphones into my MacBook Pro. Uh, well, you can certainly plug in your headphones, as it's got a, a little jack on the right-hand side. I think it's a 3.5, isn't it? O obviously, you'll need to convert if you've got some decent headphones with um, a quarter-inch jack. Though many of those, of course, have uh, they have an unscrewable cap on the jack that makes them into a smaller plug, so that's sorted. And then, uh, then as input, a decent USB mic. Um, I know it's a Shure, Kev, but remind me of, of the model number of yours. Yeah, I've got the Shure SMB. I'm um, looking around. So that's um, that can go in. Like that. That's a USB mic, isn't it? So that that would go straight in. It's USB and XLR. So yeah. yes, it will go. It comes with a micro, what those little micro cable to USB C. Mm. So that would go in. And then uh, and then just choose your input pool. I presume it's the same on a Mac that on on a Windows you have to on Windows you have to say to it right your in, my input is currently set to my Shure microphone and yes. my output yes. is set to the the standard yeah. speakers on the laptop yeah yeah absolutely the same but um, a headset mic I don't know really uh, very many good headset microphones you do it you do swap off a little bit of um, of quality when you do that I would always have a mic is a mic. The headset is a headset. Um, a lot of people use the Apple with ear, white cable. Earbuds. Earpods, rather. Yeah. A lot of people use them for podcasting because the, the, yeah. the speaker on those is very good and the, yeah, the audio coming out of them is excellent. They're not bad, are they? They're, uh, yeah. yeah. They can they can be very good, yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I would always say go for a separate mic and headphones if you can because your quality is going to be so much better. I mean, I know the quality the – quality, it's, it's interesting because when you – this week, Kev, in Buncombe Armsbury, you're in Buncombe Armsbury's kitchen, aren't you? So Yeah, I'm at, I'm at home now. I've, I've got my new shiny studio with my new soundproofed walls, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I ain't got any internet. Yeah. It's really frustrating. So the sound is slightly different this week for you. Sometimes it's slightly you need you need um, they always say you don't want it to be too dead. You're quite you're quite you're, the sound in the, that uh, kitchen's quite good, but actually it's a it's there's no what I would call really lively spaces. You want almost you want some sort of um, long wall that's got nothing on it. So you always need some sort of bounce. One wall, mm. 
something has to have bounce. That could be a ceiling, I suppose. But mm. that that room that you're in now, I know it. It's got so many angles and things. Uh, that's uh, actually acoustically that that um, that kitchen of yours is very very good. I'm very pleased. You like it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Go on. Photography question. Okay. So this one's from uh, Russell Goffwood. He says, hello, guys. Thanks for the great content. I came across the term lens calibration the other day. Is this something we need to think about with feature film cameras, or is it more relevant when using lenses that are a different brand to your particular camera? Thank you. Uh, okay, so, yes, lens calibration is something that people who use DSLRs will be very much aware of. Yes. Um, you would. It's not so much about using lenses that are different to the brand of the camera you own. Um, you know, it's it's all about what, what they used to call micro movements, micro yeah. lens movements, yeah. and you would have to get this little target and and calibrate the lens. I never ever did it once in my DSLRs. I have to say, um, you come. You could sometimes get lenses that were so out of calibration. It did happen to me a couple of times, and I just swapped the lenses rather than and got them recalibrated but you don't have to worry about it with fujifilm they are um they it just doesn't it's not a thing don't worry thing is it no no. it's all done inside the fairies inside pedal hard in in the calibration (laughs) department happy days so don't worry about it if you've got a fujifilm camera i'm fairly sure you don't need to worry about it for any mirrorless whether it's sony canon yeah uh nikon they're still around nikon yeah um and the other ones kevin um, you'll, yeah, ha- so you'll, ha- you'll have all the Nikon. fans complaining like mad. I know, I know. Right. Abarianax, now, tell me about him a little bit so we can go into it smoothly. Well, uh, he's somebody I've always admired. You've probably admired him as well, being oh, yeah. uh, from your podcasting yes, head. Yes, yes, yes. And I was a guest on his show many years ago. Must be four, five, six, maybe years ago. I can't remember was now. It that long ago? Wow. Yeah, it was a while back. And those of you that know The Candid Frame, if you're into podcasting, will know that he has interviewed everybody who has ever existed that has touched a camera. He's an amazing guy, and uh, it's quite an interesting interview. And, of course, he's a Fujifilm ex-photographer, and we'll, uh, we'll pop up the link for his website that will take you to, uh, to The Candid Frame and also to all his amazing photographs. And because he's a guest, he is allowed, Kev, to curse. There's no bouquet chicken to uh, to rescue a baronex today. Uh, fascinating interview though between between you two. On your website, you describe yourself as a photographer, writer, educator, and podcaster. Uh, which which do you see yourself as mostly? A photographer first, always. Yeah, that's that's an easy one. Followed by probably uh, the podcasting. Where did photography come in your? your evolution of life oh it came really early i was a member of the boys club of hollywood here in the los angeles area and one of the counselors there had, had uh was a real uh fan of photography and there was a dark room that i guess it had been there since the 40s um but it had fallen into disuse so he fixed it up stocked it with chemicals and paper and he had two photojournalist friends of his come and he gathered a bunch of us kids in there, probably about seven or eight kids in that small little dark room. And they taught us how to load film into a camera and process the film and make prints. And I was just hooked. And they had these little, I mean, these cameras were old. These were like these literally box cameras from the 50s. And, you know, they probably had a Olympus a half frame camera. I think it was the only one that was relatively new. It was probably... 60s and uh i i was just hooked and 
at some point, the other kids lost interest in that's all I wanted to do. So every time I would come to the club, I'd ask for the keys to the dark room. I'd go in and load a, a roll of film into the camera, shoot around the club or on the streets in Hollywood, and then come back and spend all my hours in the in the dark room. They had to come and knock on the door, you know, to get me out of there uh, at the end of the day because I could have stayed there all night if they'd let me. You know, when people take a look at my work, they'll probably ascribe me as a documentary or a street photographer. Um, but for me, I'm exploring a lot of different things. I just like making photographs. Um, I like doing portraiture. I like doing travel. I like doing street. I'm playing around with self-portraiture right now for a small project. And um, for me, it's just the the act of just making something from nothing. That's That's the thing that's always intoxicated me intrigued me about photography is the ability to be able to take these things that I'm seeing with my naked eye and to make something that that eventually uh, creates a reaction. I, I stuttered when I was a kid and I felt very awkward in terms of being able to express myself verbally, surprisingly now that I'm a podcaster, but nevertheless, when I was a kid, it was really something that I struggled with. But I found that when I had a camera and I made pictures and I showed people prints, I felt that it gave me a voice and it gave me a sense of confidence about my ability to be able to express something about my experiences in a way that, that you know, other things just didn't. And it was just very empowering. And I think that's one of the reasons why I still find photography very sort of intoxicating because I feel like it really gives me a sense of, of, confidence and and power about my own life that I really don't I don't feel like I get from anything else that I that I do is even though I'm successful in doing things like writing and podcasting for me photography at its heart is is something that just gives me gives me so much so much period you know in so many different ways no, you mentioned briefly there that you're doing a recent project you said about self-portraits. Is that something that's come about because we've all spent so much time at home not taking real pictures, if you like, or pictures of other people, perhaps? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm newly a, a Fuji ex-photographer, uh, Fuji creative. And, uh, you know, we've been trying to do different things so that we can get to know each other. And and we were put together with another Fuji creative and we were supposed to basically come talk to each other and come up with some idea that we would work in collaboration with each other. Not exactly working on the same thing, not a, not a strict collaboration, but we just basically have an idea and then we would just like riff on it. And me and Alison Conklin um, decided that we would start talk, you try to talk about different aspects of our, our lives through photography. She, um, she per, I won't speak for what she's doing, but for me personally, uh, I suffer from, um, not suffer from, I live with um, uh, major depressive disorder as well as uh, ADHD. And that's something I was diagnosed with only about maybe two and a half, maybe three years ago now. And for me, it was like, huh, I wonder if I can somehow illustrate in, in photographs what that experience has been like for me living living with with that. So um, I started, just took my, 
X-Pro3 with 16 millimeter lens. And I just started doing a series of uh, multiple exposures. And because of the nature of the X-Pro3, I can't really look at the viewfinder when I'm doing this. So I just kind of put a 16 millimeter lens and I was practicing with multiple exposure, moving the camera and trying slightly different shutter speeds, uh, working with different color temperatures with each shot and then accentuating that in, in Lightroom or in Photoshop. And just trying to get images that are very uh, sort of abstract, but get to the emotion of what it's, what it's like to have been in my head um, during moments. Because especially with the ADHD, my mind can be all over the place. You know, it's, I'm just getting pulled in all these different directions. And I wanted to be able to create images that sort of evoke that. And doing self-portraiture is not something I really have ever tried or had a desire to. Mm. But in talking to her, I realized that if I'm if I'm experiencing some resistance to doing something, it's probably exactly the thing I should be doing. So yeah. both of us were feeling along the same way in terms of turning the camera on ourselves. We had the desire to, but because of self-consciousness, because of insecurity, we didn't really want to do it, but we kind of encouraged each other to do it. So for the last couple of weeks, I've just been playing around. And it's been uncomfortable, but it's been really interesting because the images I've created are completely unlike anything I've ever made before, which is, I think, a really good thing uh, about it. I don't know what, if anything, I'll do with these photographs other than sharing them with Allison and, and with the small group that we're sharing images with uh, at the end of the month. But um, yeah, I think it's really good to do something that is really outside one's comfort level. You mentioned, obviously, that you are a ex-photographer, Fujifilm ex-photographer ambassador. Uh, I love that idea that you and Alison and the rest of the gang over there are, you know, kind of collaborating and, and doing something to, to, to keep yourselves occupied. Um, now, how did the ex-photographer thing come about? I think it's quite recent. Yeah, it was, it was the middle of last year. Basically, I just got contacted because I know a lot of people who are already, I guess, photographers. So I guess my name was uh, was thrown in the bag. Um, and so they contacted me and they wanted to know whether I would be interested. And that when I found out more about what was involved with it, I was like, yeah, yeah I'd be interested in that. Because all the people that I that I know, like Valerie Jardin and um, Rinzi Ruiz, um, have all said, had very good things to say about their experience with, with Fuji. And I've been using the equipment, you know, for years now. Um, mm. And, you know, I was going to use the gear regardless of whether I was a, a made a, made that, but I really thought it would be a nice way of, 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 you know, getting more insight into the equipment and, and also just, you know, from a marketing point of view, great, greater awareness about the podcast that I was doing. Yeah. You know, because they felt like that's a huge audience that, that would be available to me. So I talked to them for a while with, you know, with Stacy and all the other people. And uh, and then I applied for the ex-photographer, um, you know, which is, a, this, I guess, the next tier over from the mm -hmm. creatives. And I, I got selected, I think, back in November or January. So it's really a very um, short period of time. And I'm still sort of getting acclimated to you know, what's involved. But one of the things I got to do is was get to work with the new X100S, the, the pre-production model. Yeah. And shot some images for the, for the new release, which was, you know, that was quite fun. My first opportunity to seriously use a medium format camera. Yeah. How did you find it? I really loved it. Um, it was really interesting because it's, 
you know, it's a hundred megapixel camera, and a lot of people make talk about about that, but there's a certain look that you get from it, which is largely due to the compression, due to the larger sensor and the optics. So when I was photographing my normal street photography or doing portraits, I could really see that this camera was giving me a really distinctive, different look, which was really sort of exciting. And it's like, wow, this is something new to play with. It wasn't just the fact that I could make these huge prints and or I could crop, you know, that, that really, well, yeah, that's an advantage. It was the look that it was giving me. And I was just, I wish I'd had it for longer than two weeks. Cause I wanted to, I wanted to experiment with it a lot more to see not only how it could impact the work that I'm doing now, but what other doors it might open for me in terms of other kind of work that I might not have considered when I'm using a, you know, a normal X series camera. That you just said uh, something that, that that made me chuckle a little bit. That you know quite a few photographers, and I think that's probably the understatement of the year. <laughs> yeah. um, because a, a lot of people listening will obviously know that you're a photographer, but will also have been listening to the Candid Frame for a long time. Now, uh, my I, I did a little bit of, of uh, estimations and research by looking at the the episode list, and you're at. What, no, 550 episodes? Yeah, 551, and it'll be 552 tomorrow, I think, yeah. Wow, and how long has it been going? 2006. 2006. So, I mean, you you have literally had the who's who of photography royalty on that that podcast. Um, Yeah, yeah. Mary Ellen Mark, Sam Abel, Joel Merwitz, yeah, Elliot Erwitt, I think I remember. Elliot Erwitt, yeah. Uh, you know, certainly when it first started, and I think that was part of your story, was that you wanted to create a podcast that you you weren't experiencing at the time. Is, is that how it came? Yeah, yeah, because I started listening to podcasts around 2005, and that was pretty much when it was starting. And I was listening to some other podcasts that were out there. There was like Jeff Curto's History of Photography podcast, uh, Martin Bailey's Photography podcast. They had all started maybe around six months before I had, but they still were, uh, they were talking largely about equipment. No one was doing any, anything with respect to um, interviews with photographers. And I felt like, wow, uh, that'd be kind of neat to have someone do an interview show. And I said, well, if no one else is doing it, why don't I? And because I worked at, uh, I'd worked at Nikon for eight years before. And then at the time I was working as an editor at a f- uh, several photo magazines. I knew a lot of photographers anyway. So um, I just started reaching out and saying, hey, I want to do this interview show. Can I interview you? So a lot of the people who I'd, I'd known from the magazines like Rick Salmon and William Neal, uh, John Isaac, um, they were all up for it. I already had relationships with them, so I just needed to learn how to do a podcast, how to record audio, how to edit audio on GarageBand, which I, which was what I used at the time, how to host it, how to create a website and a blog. And I started doing it every two weeks, you know, sort of cutting my teeth on it. And eventually I, you know, made the crazy decision to, to do it every week. And uh, I'm, I'm still doing it. Still so, doing it. Well, the, the research, you, you, the interviews that you do on the, the Candid Frame, I think, are, are great because they, 
you clearly do the research on the photographers first and you know you really engage with them and i think that you know i i remember asking um martin parr a question i said what's your favorite uh picture and he said, well, you can't have a favorite picture. That's like asking somebody, an author, what their favorite page of a book they've written is. Yeah. So I am going to ask you, though, however, what's your, do you have any favorite interviews that you've done, anything that stands out, anything that went right or wrong dramatically? <laughs> yeah, I mean, talking to my photographic heroes has always been, you know, sort of a highlight having a chance to sit with Mary Ellen Mark or Joe Meyerowitz or Dan Winters. They're people whose work I've been following for a long time. So for me, uh, to have a chance to sit down with them as a peer is always just very, very satisfying, very inspiring, very exhilarating. But, you know, sometimes it's the conversations that I've had with people that uh, most people have not heard of. And somehow I just have a wonderful conversation with them that, and I'm just left feeling so good after it's done. And some, and I find that um, it's not so much the reputation of the photographer or how big their name is that results in it being um, an interview that I think is quote unquote better than the average one. It's really being able to have put aside all the pretensions, the pretentiousness to be able to really have a genuine conversation where you're really both excited about talking with each other. Mm. And then when, when that hits, when that's happening, man, it's, it's just as good as being in the zone when you're making photographs, right? Mm. When you're just in that spot and it's just happening and there's no effort at all. You know, when you think about people like Mary Ellen Mark, who of course is no longer with us, uh, we often talk on our show about uh, the importance of legacy through photography, mm, but, yeah. but actually legacy is in sound as well. And uh, Neil, who is the, uh, the other presenter of the podcast, of course, he's got a sound background and, uh, and perhaps him and you have probably got the two most mellifluous voices I've ever, I've ever come across. <laughs> yeah. Neil's got quite the voice. <laughs> he has indeed. Um, as, uh, you know, but the, the thing is the, this idea that, uh, photography is important, of course it is, but then we have these beautiful interviews with people like Mary and, and, and many others, I'm sure, that are, are no longer around, you know, then you, you've kind of encapsulated these, uh, the, the sound of them, uh, which is something that really wouldn't have been on the radar for, for many people. The sound and the interviews are in some ways just as important as the, uh, as the photography making. But I, I think that's that's part of, I guess, when I think about my own legacy, um, these interviews, I think, are, are going to be a distinctive sort of marker of what, what photography was in our particular time. Do you still have the passion for it, it uh, the same as you had at the beginning? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I wish, I wish, I wish it was all I was doing. That and making pictures. Yeah. You know? Now, one of, the, one of the questions, going back to photography a little bit, one of the, the questions we get asked a lot on the podcast is, is about approaching strangers on the street to photograph mm -hmm. them. Now, when I, uh, when I typed in uh, photographing strangers on the streets, I think that I came across, uh, it's either a book or a PDF or something that you did um, yeah, no. on that topic. It might have been a while ago. Um, but the pictures and the content in that were, were amazing. Now you've written lots of books. Um, you've got lots of books out there. 
But in terms of that, that element of approaching people on the street, what, what tips would you give to somebody if they were to go out today, COVID's gone away, and they, they're allowed to wander in the street and take pictures of people? Well, I have, I have two different approaches. One of them is sort of like the um, fisherman approach. Um, when it comes to street photography, they they have generally two types of photographers. One is the people who go fishing, and then the people who go hunting. The hunter is more of the person who's sort of like constantly moving and bringing the camera up really quickly and trying to capture a moment with people. And then they're they're constantly they're like a little shark you know, moving through the streets, grabbing their, their photographs. And me, I'm more of a fisherman where I'll find a scene. I'll, feel, I'll find a location with the light and the lines and the shape of the color are kind of interesting. And I'll wait for me people to move through the scene in order to make the photograph. And with my way of doing it, I really don't have to um, concern myself to how people are reacting because they already see me there and they make the assumption that I'm photographing something else. They don't realize that I spotted them like, you know, from 50 feet away and I'm just waiting for them because they're wearing, a, you know, a nice red jacket that'll complement everything that I've seen. And then there are other times when I want to do like a street portrait and usually with people like that, I just go up to them and I give them a compliment. There's something about them. Oh, I love that hat you're wearing. Or, you know, I love your shoes. Or, I love your fingernails. Do you mind if I make a photograph of that? And I'm still considering all the other things in terms of the lighting and the background when I make the portraits, but in terms of just engaging someone, um, I find that a compliment is really the best way to do it. Uh, I, I learned that accidentally. I gave some woman a compliment about something and she just glowed after I gave her the compliment and I realized that the, my greatest fear was in approaching someone. But if I just went up to someone and gave them a compliment without asking them, can I make your picture? I found that I could get over my fear. So for a month, every day, I gave myself the challenge of giving a compliment to a complete stranger every day for 30 days. And I just saw how people responded to that. And then after that, I started broaching, hey, can I make your photograph? Because if I came up to them and just gave them a, a compliment, and they reacted favorably, then the likelihood that they were going to allow me to make a portrait was increased exponentially. Mm. And that's how I just got myself over the fear. Not that I get over it completely. There's some times where my fear still gets the, the best of me and I, I don't do it. But I find that that's really probably the easiest way of being able to engage someone knowingly in the making of a photograph. Yeah, that's really good. The, the idea of the the fishermen and the and the hunters, and I think when my wife listens to this podcast, she'll say, "Well, you should start with making a compliment of people you know before the strangers." <laughs> <laughs> Once a day for thirty days, she'll be very happy with that. <laughs> um, okay, so here's a question for you: If you uh, uh, if you could tomorrow go and spend the day photographing, it doesn't have to be on the streets; could be anything with any photographer, alive or dead, uh, who might it be, do you reckon? Well, I got, a, I got an open invitation from Joe Meyerowitz um, that the next time we're in the same city, we're going to go out shooting. Yeah. So I'm hoping that whenever I'm in either London or in Italy where he is, um, our, our you know, schedules will coincide. Yeah. So that's... He, he said we could do that, and I'm looking forward to that. 
other than him, the only other person I can think of off the top of my head would be, um, um, God, William Albert Allard, Bill Allard. Yeah, he, he's he's one of my heroes. I met him two or three years ago, and uh, I got to spend you know a couple of days with him, which was nice. But I would love to go shooting out with Bill because he was he was one of the photographers who really impressed on me um, the importance of light and color. He was able to do stuff with Kodachrome that everyone else would have said it was impossible. He would shoot in really low light conditions with Kodachrome 64, maybe even 25. And he would make pictures where a lot of other photographers would say, oh, you can't make a picture in here. And there's not enough light. And, and he would just come with amazing, amazing results. One final question. I ask this to everybody. Um, what would you, what would you tell an 18 year old yourself? What would you, what would you whisper in the ear of yourself at 18 years old? How would you, how would you try and encourage yourself? It's like, can I curse here? Yeah. <laughs> Is it okay if I curse? Neil's in charge of the beat button. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. I would tell him photograph what you feel driven you know what you feel driven to photograph and don't give a fuck about what anybody else thinks about it that that that, that would be it because i think that myself and a lot of other people get caught up with what other people are going to think about whether it's good or bad or different and we don't make pictures because it doesn't follow rules or it doesn't follow a particular you know, niche or something like that. And we get defined by what other people's expectations of what are good or what's, what's portrait or what street photography about all these shoulds and shouldn'ts. And I'm just like, man, just make a goddamn picture. You know, don't worry about all these shoulds and shouldn'ts and these rules, just make the work. And you can worry about, you know, it's value either to you or anybody else later. I think people just get so caught up with these, hard and fast rules and these judgments that other people have made who don't have the courage to go out and really, you know, give their all to a work and you get limited by people who don't have that, have the courage to do it at all. And it's like, you know, you can't, you can't, I'm, I'm, and I'm learning this now, you know, mm -hmm. it's taking me a while to learn this. It's just like, no, man, I just make, I just got to make the work. And even if like 80 or 90% of people don't like what, I, what I'm doing, it doesn't matter. And if I feel driven to make this work, then that's what I'm driven to do. And hopefully it'll find, you know, an audience. It will find its people. Um, but that's what I would tell an 18-year-old, especially 18 years old, because you're so concerned with what other people think. Yeah. And then, you know, as you get older, you realize that that means less and less. It's of less importance as you get older and older. The wonderful Baranax Perello. We will, of course, link to his website in the show notes today. And if podcasting is your thing, this week on the Photography Daily Podcast, which you're allowed to tune over to, of course, at the end of this one, uh, well, it being International Women's Day today, March 8th, assuming you're downloading this on the Monday, over on PD, a few things about the women who have shaped history behind the lens. And Deanna Dykeman is my guest, an artist and photographer who has made the most wonderful book called Leaving and Waving. 27 years of, of something as simple as waving goodbye to her parents over and over during that time. It is absolute proof of the value of understanding the gold that's to be found 
in life's, well, simplest of moments and gestures. My mom had a bright pink blouse and there was this red house and the green grass and the blue sky. And <laughs> I just pulled out my camera and took a picture. Deanna Dightman on Photography Daily today with the 200th edition, by the way, on Wednesday when we have a show called uh, What I've Learned About Photography, which is helped by a host of the guests interviewed over the last eight months since launch and uh, getting to that number. Right, questions. Oh, I think it's my turn first, isn't it, Kev? Um, there was actually a, a comment and a question. Shall I do the comment quickly? Jeremy, Jeremy Henderson, do you remember last week we were talking about uh, Boris Johnson having messy hair? <laughs> Brushes his hair with a balloon. I know that's... He said, sorry for the politics, chaps, but you did start it. Nothing about buying a comb. Johnson has messy hair, so the people talk about Boris with messy hair and forget about everything else. Um, he said, actually, disastrous policies. You fell for it. Maybe I did too. Oh. There was another comment about Boris that suggested it was somebody that said that they they had provided him with a brush or something. They, same oh, same one, wasn't it? Uh, no, that wasn't the same one. There was an, I thought there was another comment that said they'd actually, they'd actually supplied him with a brush in the past. Yeah, they, I saw that as well. And there was a picture of him being handed a brush by, <laughs> by the director of this company. There, <laughs> there's no excuse, Boris. Um, this one <laughs> is from Adrian Muscat. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Neil. Um, here's my question. Has much changed in your approach to photographing weddings since you both first started? And another question, if I may... If somebody was photographing a wedding documentary style for the first time, what advice would you give them from Adrian Muscat in Canberra, in Australia? Um, so do you want to go with uh, how much has changed since since, um, since since we started? Yeah, and I, I think, honestly, I would say very, very little has changed for me in terms of the style. The style that I, or the, I suppose what has changed is that at the beginning I tried to do the thing I wanted to do. And maybe now I, I'm a bit closer to doing the thing I want to do. I don't think I'll ever be, you know, I don't think anybody ever should be happy with their work. Um, so, yeah, I think style-wise, no, nothing. My objective has always been the same. Candid, emotion, yeah. that's it, you know. Um, I, think, I think I'm similar. Although I think I probably have managed to get more documentary over the last couple of years than, than I was. And we had a long conversation about group shots last week, obviously. But <laughs> should we move on from that? But um, I, I guess that, that it's a subtle difference, really. Not not not, not that much. No, we we, we, both, we both set our stall out as we wanted to uh, photograph, didn't we? Really? Yeah, exactly. And you know, there will be a lot of people listening to this going, mm, "Documentary, everybody's documentary wedding photographer." And they're right. They are right. They don't need to mumble under their breath and raise their eyebrows at us. You know, everybody who is a wedding photographer does documentary wedding photography. It's just how much of the day and how much of a story do they think they're they're implementing. That's mm. that's key. Um, it, if you spend an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours doing group shots and you only spend an hour doing documentary photography, you're still a documentary wedding photographer for that hour. You know, there's no... There's no pigeonholing people. It's, it's a ridiculous thing. But your, if our, mine and your objectives are to spend as much of the day as possible, if, if possible the whole day, you know, shooting candidly. Uh, that may not be what other people want to do, but, you know, that's, that's, that's up to them. Everybody is a documentary wedding photographer for a, a certain part of the day. I had a conversation the other day that was about um, how we label ourselves and whether it's really necessary to be called a documentary wedding photographer these days. And funnily enough, that that sort of came home when uh, I talked to 
David Yarrow the other day, who uh, is not a wedding photographer, obviously, at all. He's a fine art photographer. But I made the mistake at one stage, and oh boy, did he let me have uh, both barrels on this one, of calling him a wildlife photographer. Um, <laughs> well, you know, to be fair, a lot of David's really, really um, important, um, gorgeous, famous stuff is um, was taken in the wilds. So a bit of a, a bit of a clumsy reference on my part, but um he, he said you know i'm a photographer i'm a photographer that's what i am i'm not this that the other and i wonder actually with wedding photographers whether whether you know this we're a documentary wedding photographer or traditional or we're uh, whether we we obsess about it a little bit too much yeah i mean perhaps we do but i i, I don't kind of you know if you asked 10 people who'd heard of david yarrow what you know, what kind of photography was he? Was he? I very much doubt any of them would say, well, he's just a photographer. Mm. Most of them would say he's a, a wildlife photographer. And, you know, you can't, you can't just say everybody's a wedding photographer because you have to have a definition of style of some kind because otherwise, how do you separate yourself? How do you stand out? You know, you can't, if you, uh, you know, um, Don McCollin famous, famously said that he doesn't like to be referred to as a war conflict for, photographer yeah, any longer. Photograph, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because that's not what he does anymore. No. But he was a conflict photographer. Mm. And, you know, it's like saying to a food photographer, uh, well, you know, you're, you're just a photographer, so come and photograph my wedding. Well, you know, no. He's not yeah. going to, is he? Yeah. Unless he, yeah. you just want him to photograph your wedding food. Is it important? Chicken. Is it important for SEO? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, yes, yes, and no. I suppose some clients will think, right? I want a documentary wedding photographer, and they're going to bang into Google documentary mm. wedding photographer. Not many, Malmesbury, though, I would have thought. Malmesbury, Wiltshire. Do, do you think many, many would? <laughs> Did it? No, no, I don't. No. not many of them do. No. Absolutely, they don't. Uh, they don't even know what they're looking for half the time until mm. they land on somebody's website and they think, oh, actually, there's different styles. I never knew that. Yeah. And then they'll start investigating it. But, yeah, ab absolutely. You, you know, there's, there's, there's very few people who are uh, dropping into this wedding bubble who will, will know any of that stuff. Mm. They will start off thinking, I need a wedding photographer, and that's how it starts. Mm. But that's not the same as saying everybody is exactly the same. No. You know. And the second part of Adrian's question was, if somebody was photographing a wedding doc style for the first time, what advice would you give them? Well, here's a thought. Maybe photographing it on your own instead of, um, instead of lots and lots of people, two, three people. Because I, I always um, I, I refer to my great friend Giles, who says to me, I remember the conversation we had once at one of our port fueled um, uh, uh, lunches where he said to me, he leant across the table and he said, you wedding photographers are funny old people. And I said, why is that, uh, Giles? He said, well, you always sort of hunt in packs. What's <laughs> that about? Um, and, and he had a point. He said, Look, if I wanted to make, you know, little to no noise about myself, I, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't have lots of people running around with cameras where somebody's looking over their shoulder thinking, where's the other one? Where's the other one gone? Um, oh, I totally agree. Mm. Yeah. And that's not just, I can't be bothered to go and find a second photographer at all. It's not, nothing to do with that at all. It has to do with the fact that I think you can be far more subtle when there's just the one of you being the I. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, you can't, there are many, many 
um, couples that shoot together, and I'm sure they do a very, very good job. And you know, they they understand the practicalities of it. But also, I mean, I've been a guest at weddings before where they've there's been two, and on a couple of occasions, three photographers. And honestly, I felt a bit like um, Meghan Markle, you know, yeah. uh, just being paparazzi, left, right, and centre everywhere you looked. Click, 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 click. Yeah. Um, and uh, Meghan Markle is that the right one? Well, Ma- Meghan she the is- one married to to Prince William? No. <laughs> <laughs> or is it the German? Am I talking yeah. about the German Prime Minister? Oh, you you got that the wrong. No, that's Angela Merkel. Oh, right. <laughs> and she's not married to anybody in our royal family. Um, no, um, she's married to Prince Harry, and they okay. live in they live in LA now, of course, with um, with a TV interview coming out, which I assume everyone at SW One A One AA will be glued to. How about new? Or maybe not. Then uh, anyway, what what about what about this question? What what would your advice be? My, my advice for somebody starting out is to rem- always remember, and again, we've spoke about this a million times, you're, you are the photographer, you're there as the technical photographer, but anybody can press the button on a camera. Yeah. You've got to use your eyes, you know, and, and I, I never did this at the beginning, so this is a lesson learned from me. Put the camera down, watch, smell, listen, in, smell. you know, ingrace in, yourself within the environment, yeah. figure out what's happening. You're not paid to have the camera stuck to your eye and clicking the button all the time. Uh, you know, many people will think, oh, there's nothing to take pictures of, but I've got to take pictures of something because that's what they're paying me for. They're not paying you paying you to take pictures of nothing. They're not paying you to take pictures of things you know you're never going to give them. Yeah. They're paying you pictures to tell a story of their day. So put the camera down, listen, watch, you know, take your time, look for stories rather than just think, if I take 30,000 pictures today, I'm bound to get 300 good ones. Because you might get 300 good ones, but you're going to piss them all off at the same time. Here's a question, Kev. When when you're standing there, not not with a camera glued to your eye, because you are right, sometimes you feel a bit guilty and think, oh, I, I guess I'd better take a load of pictures now when you, you yeah, think this is yeah. not the right moment. What what do you do? Where do you look? What do you uh, look? I usually look at the football scores. Because I would never look at the mobile phone because they'd be, oh, no. look at him, look at his mobile phone. No, you're quite right. I, never, I, would, I mean, I would, I'd do that if I'd go out in the room or on my break or something. But no, you're absolutely right. If I'm doing it, if I'm shooting, um, you know, I will, what I'll often do is grab a drink, you know, soft drink. Uh, I've usually got the camera still in my other hand, but I'm, you know, just wander around and just looking for the light, looking yeah. for, you know, where, where the um, most interesting people are you know what's happening obviously during the ceremony and things like that you're you're pinned but yeah you know drink reception evenings all of that stuff you know if there's one thing that i've learned is there's no such thing as a boring wedding there is always stuff going on Mm. you just need to look for it and if you if you've got the camera pinned to your eyes and you're concerned that you should be taking pictures you'll never see it and actually li- listen for it as well i find listen, what, what you yeah. hear is sometimes what guides you to go and make a picture yeah stick turn your mobile phone on record the audio for five minutes hmm. go into the other room listen to the audio and that will tell you so much about the room that you've just been in that you will never even Ooh, thought of very good advice right there we go hopefully that helps you adrian in uh, in canberra um right book time what have we got this week kev we have got well here it is. it's a tome this book yeah it's a heavy one this book is called photography in america Ooh. but it's it lies there's a big fat lie on the cover oh because it says from 1841 to today and that's just not true is it because this is this was published in about 1974 oh i see um a startling record of photography and of the nation in pictures chosen from the great collections 
for the Whitney Museum of American Art. Right. Whitney Museum of American Art. Ever heard of that? No, I haven't actually, no. No, neither had I. I wondered if that's what turns into uh, MoMA, but I don't think so. Um, anyway, it's, it's edited by Robert Dotty. It's yep. a big, hardback, um, all black and white. Um, as you would imagine, because of the time. Now, it's one of those books that I've checked to see its availability. It's You can get it for uh, anywhere between four ninety nine and £380. Because <laughs> I've just you looked decide. At, yeah, I've looked at one here for 92 quid on uh, Amazon. Yeah, so Amazon is around about £92. A-Books varies from £200 uh, downwards, but there are other people selling it. It's on eBay, for example, um, for about four ninety nine. And and essentially, it's a series of images that are uh, you know often of the the Great West, um, uh, you know, in America. And it's there's a lot of photographers in here. Some of them are very well known, but others aren't. Uh, certainly weren't known to me um, so much. So I'm looking at a, a really beautiful picture here on page ninety one by Edward J. Steichen, who was alive from eighteen seventy nine to nineteen seventy three. And there's another one opposite. That one is uh, is titled Isadora Duncan. And then opposite there is the the flat the Flatiron Building in the evening. So Ooh, you're the opposite yeah. the famous Flatiron yes, Building. Yes. And that's been gifted. 1905. That was photographed. Um, same photographer, Station, uh, gifted by the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York. So I'm going to flick forward a little bit. And there's a there's a wonderful picture here on page 137 by Walker Evans, who was born in 1903. Uh, and it's just titled Post Portraits, New York. And there's a chef and a, I don't know, he's not a chef. But he's not dressed as a chef. So somebody else, this, po- this photograph was taken in 1931 and it's held at the Art Institute of Chicago. Uh, and it's, it's wonderful because... It's 1931, and the guy, uh, he really does look like Charlie Chaplin. He's got the little moustache, his hat is on a little twist, and the other guy is, is, is more melancholy and looking into the camera. But it really gives you an indication of, you know, the style of people and what they were doing at the time. He's really obviously kind of tried to um, kind of come across as, as, as that character. And then in the background, there's this lovely, <laughs> there's a board of, uh, of the things available in this, this guy's shop. Ham and egg sandwich. 15 cents. Uh, oh. can't, can't see what that one's. Western sandwich, 20 cents. Just a ham sandwich, 10 cents. So you're paying 5 cents for the egg. So are these the, these the real something and nothing pictures then? Yeah, there's a lot of that. But then if you, the one right in the middle, the one that spreads right across two pages, is the very famous Eugene Smith picture. It's titled Tomoko in Her Bath, right. um, which is uh, from his uh, Japanese work. Um, Eugene Smith, born 1918, and obviously hadn't died by that point, by the time the book was published. And this picture is 1972, and it's a, it's a, a very famous picture beautiful black and white of that Japanese bathe, bathing going on. And then, oh, I lied. I said it was all black and white, but actually towards the end, I've come across some color ones. There's a, a really nice one of the, it's called the Inner Tubes, but it's mm-hmm. it's it's stonework. Um, and it's by Sil Labrot. Ever heard of him or her, Sil Labrot? Mm, no. No, me neither. I think it's wonderful. I'm looking through all of these. Dennis Stock, I've heard of Dennis Stock, 19, born 1928, uh, Lucas Samaras, and then we go towards the end. There's some wonderful sports pictures here. Wow, absolutely wonderful ones. Um, page 218, Robert Rigger photographed this. Willie Mayles steers third, New York at Brooklyn, 1955. Now that is, you just don't see this kind of, I don't know, there's like a a feeling in this picture of, you know, this guy diving for the base in his, in his you know, in his Yankees top. 
modern sports photography seems, I mean, it's brilliant. Don't get me wrong. And they're incredibly talented. But I really love looking back at these old black and whites with the grain. And, you know, there's, there's a little bit of motion blur. The hat is flying off. You know, 1955, he certainly didn't have a, a camera that shot 45 frames per second. You know, that's, that's insanely talented. There's another I, I, one on the opposite I always, side. I always think, though, for you, Kev, it's, it's the nostalgia, isn't it? And this is one of those books that's, that's um, nostalgia heaven for the Mullins. It is nostalgia, but also it's, you know, it's just talent. It's raw talent. You know, it's, it's just raw talent. An amazing one. Over the top for six. Same photographer, Robert Rigger. Over the top for six. Uh, Washington at New York, 1960. And this is a, uh, this is one of the presumably uh, Washington Redskins. If they, I don't think they call themselves that any longer. But anyway, the, what, what was them? Diving over the top of, of a, a great mall of people in an American football game. There's about eight of them. Like... <laughs> Lying on the floor, all looking for the ball, and then this guy is flying through the midair like a salmon over the top of them all. <laughs> so, uh, is is this also um, uh, text with picture. text with documentary and stuff as well? Or no? So, there's introductory text at the beginning, right, okay, um, which is quite in depth, probably twenty pages or so. But then it's mostly just the pictures, and it, it, it explains who the photographer was, when they were born, when they died, the title of the the piece, and where it's either gifted from the museum or or who owns the rights to it now. Mm. Um, so I'm looking at one now: Charles Harbert, nineteen born 1935. This is called Bride in Cellar. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> and this is a Magnum photo. This is in the Magnum collection, and it's taken in 1966, and it's Bride. St- <laughs> That's brilliant. She stood in a, obviously in a basement in a cellar in her wedding dress and she's on a a big white uh, mat. So they put a a, a sheet down Mm. uh, and it looks like she's stuck there. She can't move off this white mat because she's going to get her dress dirty. But you can't, she can't go anywhere else. (laughs) So it's a a documentary of American life for all those years. Yeah. Uh, There's plenty of Diane Arbor stuff in there as well. It's uh, Jack Wellpart. Yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. This is one that's been stuck in the corner of my bookshelf. I hadn't pulled it out for a long time. I've just noticed I've got on the inside, it says three pound in pencil. So I probably paid for it. I may have bought it in Hay on Y or somewhere like that. Mm. I have really no idea. But yeah, it's great. If I read the, I'll read the the little blurb on the inside as I, as I usually do, because I've noticed this blurb isn't available online. So um, you might not, might not get it. It says from the greatest American photographic collections, the Whitney museum of American art here presents a selection of 259 superb pictures by 86 outstanding photographers. They range in time from 1841 when the camera and its potential were just becoming known to the present day when photography has gained full recognition as a medium of artistic expression. Yet most remarkably as the sequence of these fine photographs unfold, it is evident that photography in America is more than a brilliant record of photography's aesthetic evolution. It is an extraordinary visual history of a century of American life. Well, there's a reason to spend your 90 odd quid then, Kev. Yeah, it's good. I like it. I yeah. really like it. It's uh, it's covered in dust as well, which I like. It's good one, that. That's, like uh, old, that's my evening reading. Old Jenna bottle can of watch wine. something on telly. Yeah, once she gets in from the co-op. <laughs> yeah, she gets in from the co-op. <laughs> okay. Right, questions. Yours or mine? I've got a good one. Go on, then. Oh, Keith but Martin. Before, before, you, before you do it, and it was Andrew Tate, by the way, that uh, I did find it, that sent um, an email in about uh, photographic evidence showing that Boris Johnson does have a hairbrush. The CEO of the company that uh, Andrew works for met Boris at the end of 2019 and presented him with a couple of Denman brushes. Judging how long his hair's got, we may send him over one of our famous tangle tamers. There we go. <laughs> that was that. It was Andrew Tate. So thank you, Andrew. 
I could do one of them. My hair looks like there was nothing in the budget about hairdressers. Oh, Terrible. shame. Um, okay, this one is from Keith Martin, and there's two parts to this, uh, and it, this is a good little question. Mm. He says, it looks like we're going to be able to meet with people outside again soon in groups of six. So what photographers, current or historical, would you like to go on a photo walk with? And wow. uh, an addendum to that, where and when would you like to take them? Time travel is permitted. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I, I've already prepared my answer to this. So I would I would go with Jane Bowne, W. Eugene Ooh. Smith, Martin Parr, and David Bailey. Yeah. Because I think they'd have a good old punch up, <laughs> and I would we would be at the Whitehall Palace in London on the twenty eighth of January, fifteen forty seven. Why? Why fifteen forty seven? So, so we could see Henry the Eighth die. Oh my God! It's Henry the Eighth again. Yeah. God. Fascinated. Yeah. I'm fascinated by him. That's yeah. That's what I would do. So that's where I'd be. Twenty eighth of January, fifteen forty seven. Me, Jane Bowne, Eugene Smith, Martin Parr, David Bailey. Can you imagine? Um, can you imagine Bailey uh, uh, sort of opening up the letter, this, this invite, and saying, "Who the bloody hell is Mullins, anyway?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't can you... be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine it? Oh, I, 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 just like those four photographers together, so different in well, interpretations of everything. It would be fascinating. Yes. Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, would There'd be. be Jane Bowne yeah. with her carrier bag and her cameras. <laughs> uh, Eugene Smith would be off his head. Martin Parr would be Martin Parr would be Martin Parr looking for all the colour and emotion. David yeah. Bailey would be swearing at Henry VIII on his deathbed, saying, "Look at me, you little git." <laughs> Probably worse than that. Uh, yeah, good, good one. Uh, a, yeah. co- a comment here from Peter Gazer. Uh, oh yes, Starskin Hutch. Do you remember we talked about Starskin Hutch driving a car, got the car wrong? Oh. Uh. Yeah. It was a I Ford, thought you did, but Ford, I didn't know what the answer was. Ford Grand Torino. There we go. That solved that one. Uh, Georgios Fakinos says, Hello from beautiful Greece. As you already know, I'm an amateur photographer, meaning I don't have the anxiety to have to earn money for my work and I can photograph whatever and whenever I want. Um, however, I'm now in the process of making my first serious project, which may lead to a book being published. Ooh. So I wanted to ask you, as professionals, but also as people who appreciate photography as an art and not just as a business, do you think that um, social media like Facebook and Instagram are essential for a photographer to market him or herself? I understand that they're important, but I think that uh, the way these platforms operate push the photographer to chase likes. Therefore, they lose their creativity and their style and make work that just gets the likes. What do you guys think? Don't forget to mention my last name because I love the way it sounds, Mister Sakinos. <laughs> Good old George. Yeah, we love him. Well, I, 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 you're right there, actually. Um, that I, I do think that um, that when you're in on Instagram and in that game, and I'll call it a game purposefully, that you can sometimes be lost in the the searching for the likes. And I do. I, I actually think it was a great idea when they turned it off for a while. But of course, all the lovies that that needed it for their oxygen couldn't bear the idea of not 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 being able to see their likes every day, and it drove them away from the platform to an extent. I think, didn't it? And that's why it returned briskly. Well, I don't think it ever left the UK. To be honest with you, the likes thing. No, I think not, that's, not it's here, been no. tested in Canada. No, but when it was um, tested, Kev, that that was that was, I think that was the upshot of it was that um, that that it turned so many people off. Because it was, as I, I'll use that word again, it was a, a it was a sense of oxygen for some people. 
Well, I think the difficulty is for a lot, lot of people who do make, you know, genuine influencers who, you know, that's their job. They, they had no way of, uh, you know, selling themselves. Um, but for the rest, I saw this really interesting on this point article and it was on a blog um it was probably about six months ago i read this now and the, the entire article was why i deleted my instagram account and and it went on i'll, I'll summarize it but basically i had one hundred ninety thousand instagram followers and i felt that my entire day was spent just looking for how many likes i've got oh, uh, you know i was yeah. getting depressed if i didn't have as many as the day before etc yeah. etc et and i just didn't want that i just didn't want that so i deleted my instagram account yeah. and then i'm thinking so you deleted your instagram account but now you're writing a, an article on a very well established um <laughs> photography blog about, because uh, you yeah. you need the attention yes. you want the attention yes. you want people to to say oh well you know your photography's great you shouldn't have done that blah 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 blah, blah. Yeah. and and that same photographer about two years earlier had written a piece on the same website saying how how you should buy likes on instagram because it will make you look more more <laughs> famous yeah. uh you know and and so my argument with the Instagram thing and the like stuff is every, and everything is you have two choices. You can either use Instagram uh, for, uh, you know, and enjoy it and not worry about the likes, or you can use Instagram and not enjoy it and worry about the likes. It's not Instagram's fault. It's not social media's fault. It's not the people who are on Instagram's fault. It's your fault. It's, it's in your own little head. It's your head who's worrying about whether you've got enough likes. You can decide whether that's important to you or not. Um, but I would say that a, a business, a photography business, needs an Instagram account. But just don't let your ego get in the way. What that's, about a what about a Facebook account as well? I mean, I, I know they're in the same family, mm -hmm. but well, what's your depends, feeling? What's your feeling about marketplace, I think. Facebook and Instagram? I mean, we obviously have a very successful for for Fujicast. We have, I think, a moderately uh, reasonably good, strong successful um facebook group i think which is good and and i think it brings on a healthy amount of debate each week yeah so the facebook group is is good but that's not really a business page is it so you no. and i both have facebook business pages for our wedding photography businesses but i don't i don't get business from that no, um no. no i know people who are in the children's portraiture baby portraiture marketplace and they get almost all their business from facebook so i think there's you know, swings and roundabouts in terms of Facebook. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't, I mean, I don't post on Instagram very often. I post on Instagram when I've got something to, to post. Yeah. I can't, I, I think I did one two weeks ago, maybe, you know, it's just not, not in my mind. And I'd never, uh, the only thing that's important to me is that I answer my direct messages on Instagram as long as they're not, you know, can I send you a pair of my underpants kind of things. Um, you know, that's, that's critical, but everything else, it's, you know, it's good. I get business from Instagram. I do get wedding inquiries from there, but I don't. I don't hashtag the the crap out of it. I don't. I don't post because I think I have to post. Because who's to tell you you have to post? Nobody should be yourself. Don't you know? Don't don't follow the crowds. Just use it for what it's for, and and don't let that little uh, that little worm of of ego get into your brain because that's that's where you'll end up deleting your Instagram account and then going on the internet and begging for attention again. On the Instagram um, tipple, um, you had an idea for Instagram this week, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yes, well done for reminding me. Uh, we don't just uh, throw uh, this together, you know. George, <laughs> George Fakinos uh, had a big hand in me remembering that. Thank you. Right. <laughs> 
so we shall actually probably do this at the top of next week's show, but we will talk about it now because it needs a start point. Um, so what I thought we might do, we do have an Instagram account, Futurecast. Just search uh, Futurecast Instagram and you'll find it. And somebody on the Facebook group mentioned a uh, print swap idea. And I thought what would be really amazing is I'll manage it. But what we want to do is we'll we'll do a hashtag. Let's think of it. Fujicast print swap. There you go. Fujicast print swap. That's the hashtag. No spaces, no underscores. Fujicast hashtag. No, fu- hashtag Fujicast print it's a, swap. It's already falling and, apart. <laughs> <laughs> and only, 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 only do it if you're willing to send a print to a total stranger. And oh. I, at the end of it, whenever we decide the end will be, we, maybe we'll do it for six weeks or something, I will collate it all and I will do a little spreadsheet and I will match up randomly people together and uh, and then you can send them a lovely print in the post. Because well, I was very idea. excited by our letter we had in the post and I thought, yeah, you know what, that's important. So how about that? Is that a good idea? Oh, it's a very good idea. This, this letter in the posting has really affected you, Kev, hasn't it? Yeah. Huh? Watch out for yours. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I wrote it in red. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe I won't be opening that one that day. Um, Well, that's it for this week. Thank you to our our guest, Ibarianax. And, well, you you said you're going to be speaking to him again, didn't you? Are you going to be on his show again? No, 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 no. I don't think so. But, well, yeah, you know, we chat. All right, okay. Well, it's good to have all these showbiz friends like you have, Kev. Um, and if, if oh you, yeah, it says Pete Sue's best mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me and Pete. Uh, if if you like this or any of the week's shows, thank you. And if you can, and you feel it's relevant, we'd love to. We'd love. Well, we'd love for you to leave a review. It really does help. Honestly, it does. If you can share the episode on Twitter or Facebook, you are a star. And let us know where you're sharing because we like to give those platforms a shout out as well. If you're sending questions in, then there's two ways to do that. You can send to click at fujicast.co.uk, click at fujicast.co.uk, or Kev, they can send via Facebook, can't they? They can go to the Facebook group. There is a post titled Questions for the Show Thread. We've got quite a few in there now, which is good, but the more the merrier. And don't forget, Instagram. Follow us on Instagram, hashtag FujiCastPrintSwap. We haven't done a lot on Instagram, so maybe we should start uploading some stuff, Kev. Yeah, yeah, we should. Pictures for a start of your horse would be good. That'd be nice. Find loads of those on Gemma's Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Well, I've seen some, yes. Music is some Blue Wednesday, supporting music from the incredible Artlist.io. And uh, we will see you next week. Bye, Kev. Bye. Bye-bye. The FujiCast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.